You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Uh, I was quite surprised that Laurel didn't say that her most favorite thing that she was looking forward to was the youth group coming down in July. I know she meant to say that. It's what I would have said. (laughs) But we got a team of 15 uh, from the youth group at the basement going down to Ecuador in July to do a youth camp with Ecuadorian youth. And uh, so it's kind of like a youth camp. Uh, as well as a service uh, opportunity as we serve at like a local orphanage and also on the property. And so super excited uh, to travel internationally with students um, and also bringing some leaders with me to, to do that. And so if you um, uh, want to get behind that, one, one thing that is coming up on May 7th is we're having a lunch fundraiser at Redeemer City Church, our, our sister church in um, uh, Fitchburg. Uh, they're providing a lunch uh, after church services, maybe 1230-ish, um, where it's just a free will offering that where all proceeds will go to uh, the team that's headed down to Ecuador. I'll post details online, but get some food and uh, enjoy food while doing, helping the team get there. Sounds cool, huh? Right? Good? All right. All right, well, we are continuing in uh, the life of David, and I want to just kind of begin by asking this, this question out of the gates, and that is, is who do you trust as a friend? Who do you trust as a friend? Who has your trust? Last week, our family was at the park, and a little boy ran up to my seven-year-old and said, do you want to be my friend? We could play floor is lava together. It's a real game. And Lucy said, sure. And they ran around the playground laughing and playing like they've known each other for years. I wonder at what point do we stop doing that? When do we get afraid of rejection? Or when do we become suspicious of being hurt by others? It's the child's lack of cynicism and or distrust of others that's really refreshing for this desire of a friend because it reminds us that we're not created to to live life alone. And, And we see in the opening pages of our Bible as we open how God created humanity really wired for friendships, a a triune God creating a family of people. And yet also in those first few pages of our Bible, we we also see how sin, our sin, shatters and, and fractures those very friendships we desire in life. As we see Adam and Eve rebel against God and then ultimately turn on one another. As we turn to my opening illustration, my daughter, 10 minutes after playing with her new friend, became upset because he was not playing the right rules to the game. And as we all know, there's only one way to play floor is lava, obviously. But she no longer wanted to be his friend. She wanted to go home. 
You see, it's easy to see in others, and especially in children, how our selfish and sinful desires, really, uh, for, for what we want and how we want it, how it ruins and destroys our friendships. We can see that, right? The, the, the saying is true that, that hurt people, people who have been hurt, hurt people. So rather than opening ourselves up again to that hurt, or to that frustration or irritation or annoyance or the harm that friendships might bring into our lives. We're, we're tempted maybe just to keep superficial friendships. Like, I'm going to keep a distance from you. Or perhaps the hurt has been too much and we just want to hide. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not letting anyone in. I distrust the possibility that healthy friendships can actually exist. As we continue looking in the life of David, we see that his life quickly changes from legend to a wanted fugitive. From from being anointed as the next king, slaying this, this great giant that we saw last week, to being hailed as a, as a national hero, to suddenly now having to flee the kingdom. He's hiding out amongst caves in the wilderness, and he's always hoping to stay just one step ahead of the ever-pursuing, bloodthirsty army of an envious, filled, and furious king. Our life circumstances today, I, I think, I know a lot of you are, are different than David's, but at the root, our life circumstances are very much the same as well. That when we're cornered or beaten down, what do we need? We need a friend. We need someone that we can trust. We need a friend who's going to stay with us even when things get ugly or messy or dangerous. Inner Jonathan, the friend of David, a, a portrait, an example of biblical friendship. For when David's life will become messy and ugly and even dangerous, it's it's Jonathan who stays. What about you? As you think about your life, do you have a friend that you can trust will, will get into your mess and stay with you? This is a message, ultimately, of incredible news of good news, because it's a message that's going to tell each and every single one of us that yes, yes, you do have a friend who will get into your mess and stay with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you needy, and we ask that you would open your word to our hearts, and our hearts to your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd prune back any hedge of disbelief or doubt that we might see you most clearly in these moments we share together. We pray you would do that for your glory. Amen. Well, as we follow the life of David in this next narrative, here's, three, here's, the, here's our outline. Here's where we're going. First, I, I want us to see the necessity of friendship. Why do we need friends? 
Secondly, the ingredients of friendship. And then thirdly, the power for friendship. Why do we need friends? What's the ingredients? And what is the power for friendship? We're going to pick up the narrative in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It'll be on the screen, but if you need a Bible, there's some in the back. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is immediately after David slays Goliath. In verse 1. And as soon as he, referring to David, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And so what we see in this verse is just the, the forming, the creation, the discovery of this, uh, this friendship that be- becomes true for David and Jonathan. It happens after he slays Goliath. Verse 2, and Saul took him, took David that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. And so we also see in this moment, right, that Saul sees incredible value for keeping David near. He brings him back with him. Verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. When Queen Elizabeth passed away, Prince Charles, her eldest son, became king, right? That's how monarchy works. We all know that. We get that, right? So, so as the eldest son of Saul, Jonathan is the heir apparent to the throne, which makes what Jonathan does here in these verses, like, really remarkable, because the robe that he takes off and places on to David is, is the robe that's only worn by the crown prince, the king to be. So what's happening here is Jonathan places this robe onto David. He's transferring his royal status and placing it onto, John, or onto David. In a sense, he's saying, hey, I'm the heir to the throne, but you, David, should be the king. That's pretty remarkable. I'm not sure I'm giving up my royal status, right? Verse five. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it's unknown, but it, it appears that for a length of time, David is staying with Saul in the royal palace. And we know as in later the chapter, he even marries one of Saul's daughters. Now let's look at verse 7. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So we can see as we follow this narrative, right, that, that Jonathan has perceived that God has anointed David as king, and he loves it. But we also see Saul, he also perceives that God has anointed David, and he hates it. 
You see that? And as we continue in this narrative, we'll see that Saul spends the remainder of his life chasing David with this envious rage. He can't stand it. And Zach will talk a little bit more of that next week. But for us in in our time, we're going to see Jonathan. And what does he do? And he does everything he can to protect David from his father, Saul. If you look at chapter 19, when Jonathan discovers um, that his Saul has put a hit on David, it's Jonathan who who, who risks his own life by challenging the king. And in verse 6 of chapter 19, it says, And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul listens and and brings David back to Saul as was in his presence as before, meaning things are okay again. But we keep going in the narrative, and in chapter 20, again, Jonathan has to protect David from from Saul as coming from this feast because Saul plans to kill him there. David protects him, or Jonathan protects him. And as we continue in our narrative in chapter 23, as David hides as a wanted fugitive, Saul's army's closing in on him, and Saul secretly breaks ranks and, and goes to David. In verse 16 of chapter 23, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened David's hand in God. As we continue in the narrative, eventually we'll see that Jonathan follows his father into an ill-advised battle where he and his father are killed. But this is, generally speaking, the, the narrative arc of David and Jonathan's friendship. And before we unpack this, this friendship, I, I don't want any of us to lose sight of really what the main point is of this narrative, That following the defeat of their enemy, Goliath, by the hands of God's appointed king, Saul and Jonathan really illustrate to God's people two ways that we can choose to respond to God's appointed king. There's two ways. Saul chooses ultimately to reject God's king. And he tries to kill David, to keep David away from his throne. But Jonathan chooses to accept God's king. And he surrenders his claim to his rightful throne. And so just as it was the question then for the people of God, it's the question ultimately the narrative is asking of us today, do you trust God's king to sit on the throne of your life? Do you trust God's king to sit on the throne of your life? Saul does not, and it ends very poorly for him. Jonathan chooses to surrender his stake to the throne and surrender to God's king. And ultimately, it does bring blessing to his family. And so the main question, really, that's sitting in front of all of us today as we look at this narrative is really the question, do you trust God's king and amidst that main question is this emerging thread of the necessity for friendship 
the necessity for friendship. How does David and Jonathan teach us about our need for friends in this life? Well, look again at chapter 18. Look again at chapter 18. The beginning of all of David's troubles here. Jonathan and David make a covenant of friendship. You see that? They make a covenant for friendship there in verse 3. And then as we fast forward to chapter 23, towards the end of, uh, of their time together, they, they renew, we see the scriptures, they renew their covenant of friendship with one another. And this is interesting because in between the chapters of 18 to 23 represent this dangerous time in David's life. He's young, he's vulnerable, and Saul's out to kill him again and again. But yet bracketed around this evil, around this danger, is Jonathan's friendship with David. Isn't that interesting? That this friendship fully brackets the evil and danger around David's life. You see, I find that in order for David to survive this threat against his life, David needed a friend. The reason David escapes this is because of his friendship with Jonathan. And isn't that the truth? That when things get messy and ugly, even dangerous, what we need most is a friend. Someone who says, I'm staying with you. Someone who says, I'll get into your mess. I will stay in the fray. Proverbs also speaks to our need for friends in Proverbs 17. It says a friend loves most of the time. No, it says a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Which means we're not going to get through our life without adversity. We're, we're born. It's born into our life like a brother. But you can't get through adversity without friends. You have to have friends. And some of us might be thinking, well, what about a brother or a sister, a parent, a spouse? And the answer is, yeah, of course. But only if they're a friend. I found this helpful and talking about marriage, Tim Keller says this. Good marriages are not basically romance garnished with friendship. They are friendships garnished with romance. His point is if a marriage is struggling on the rocks, a great sexual chemistry is not going to save it from ruin. What's going to save the marriage? It's probably not the sex. It's probably the friendship. It's the friend who says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying with you, even if it becomes ugly or messy. Here's the reality that is incredibly interesting. And that every longing of our lives is really caused by the brokenness of our world, by our sin. Except for this ache of loneliness. It's the only longing that we were really made with since the garden. In the garden of paradise, which was perfect, before sin, God said it is not good for man to be alone. See, the Bible is saying to us over and over again, it's, it's, you'll never get through life without adversity. Adversity happens in a fallen world, but you'll also never get through adversity without Friends. See, every one of us 
possesses this absolute necessity for friendship. So okay, James, if it's that important, what are the ingredients to friendship? And from David and Jonathan, I think we see really three key ingredients that we can take away with. One, there's this constancy, this this being constant in one another's lives. Secondly, there's transparency. And thirdly, there's unity. So, So first, constancy. We see there in chapter 18 that Jonathan and David make this covenant of friendship with one another. And covenant is is a weird language to our ears, isn't it? It's not language we use so often. And we probably find it a little more helpful to, to contrast covenant with contract. We're more familiar with contract, and we know that contracts are just legal, necessary uh, arrangements where two parties agree on things or obligations, really irrespective of, of any sort of emotion, right? But a covenant is something different. A covenant is entirely based on a loving relationship. And so when David and Jonathan make their covenant, it's helpful for us to see that friendship is covenantal, it's not contractual. In other words, we we don't make our friends sign a contract. We don't make our friends read all the small print in that contract, right? Because if we did, that would make our friendship more in like a user-type relationship. And friends are not users. Users are conditional, but a friend is unconditional. It's covenantal. Five years ago, I believe, we bought our house. And like most people, we had to get a loan. So it was five year, years ago that I was introduced to Bob, our mortgage lender. Nate Andrew knows Bob well. Bob is a great guy. He's kind, he's informative, he's dependable. Uh, and ever since I first met Bob, here's, here's the deal. He, he's never missed my birthday. Five years, never missed my birthday. Always sends me a card. He's also never not sent me a Christmas card. He even, Bob, also sends me personal letters throughout the year, kindly telling me of how I should maybe consider to keep up my home. Personal letters. But even though Bob's been incredibly, nothing but friendly towards me, it doesn't mean that we're friends. Both Bob and I know this. That, that, that all this kindness, all this helpfulness, it all goes away the moment I sign a contract with a different lender. So Bob and I have a contractual relationship. I love Bob. I have nothing against Bob. But we have a contractual relationship. We're using one another to get something we want. You see, user relationships always have this little cost-benefit calculator always calculating It's always calculating, asking these questions. Is this really worth it? Is this relationship really worth it? Am I getting out of this relationship what I'm putting in? And that makes total sense in business relationships. It's it's pretty necessary, right? But friendships, the Bible says, are to be different. Consider Proverbs 18. It says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Meaning friends, you turn off the, uh, the, that little cost-benefit calculator. You turn it off with friends. 
And friends, no matter what, stick. Don't you love that word? Friends, stick. And we see this in the friendship with Jonathan and David. Jonathan stuck with David. Jonathan sticks with David in the highs of being like national hero. Like that's the easy times to be friends, right? Like I'm with the national hero. That's my friend. But Jonathan also sticks with David in the lows as he's being chased as a wanted fugitive around the wilderness. And don't miss this. Jonathan was next in line to be king. The crown was his to have. But, but, he was not bound to the crown. You catch that? Jonathan first cared about David and David's life. Again and again, as you flip through this narrative, Jonathan risks his life over and over for no gain of his own. He could have gained the crown if he didn't. So why? Because a true friend chooses to love the other first, period. A true friend willingly places their own agenda and comfort second. A friend says, even if you're a mess, even if you've done messy things, I'm going to stay, and I'm going to get into the mess with you. A friend sticks. A friend is constant with you. And we see this constancy in Jonathan and David's friendship. I want you to think of, I want you to think about your own friendships. Think of your own friendships. Are you a friend or are you a user? Certainly as finite human beings, we, we have limitations. So there's going to be varying degrees to which, you know, we live this out in all of our friendships. But, but my encouragement is that we repeatedly ask this question in our friendships of, am I being a user or am I being a friend? Am, am I just working the angles of this friendship to get what I want? Or am I intentionally seeking the, the blessing of my friend to be a giver, a user, or a friend? So, so the first ingredient we see here is constancy. It's a friend who stays, even if it's messy. And second, we have this ingredient of transparency. It says there in chapter 18 that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul, excuse me, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And this knitting of souls together requires that your friend is going to see you for who you are, all of you. Like there's no holding back, which is simply to say that friends always let you in to your life. It, it, it requires being honest and, and vulnerable, transparent. If we're friends, not users, we're going to be transparent with one another in some of these areas of our life, such as feelings, right? We're going to be transparent with our feelings, with our friends. Our friends are going to be a safe place to, you know, freely laugh like an idiot and to, to weep like a baby. We're going to be transparent in our feelings. We're going to be transparent in our common life. 
There's just a standing invitation to our friends, to to our schedule, to our car, to, to the food in our refrigerator, right? We share those things. We're going to be transparent with our friends and our decisions. We're not going to hide what we're thinking from our friend. We're going to invite them in, like, help me uh, search my heart motives for why I might be considering this, right? We're, we're going to be transparent with our, and this is scary, we're going to be transparent in our flaws, in our messes. There's going to ultimately be like, okay, here it is. Here's my shortcomings, Here's my failures, because there's a trust that your friend is going to want nothing better than you to become, you know, the the person that God wants you to be. You know, there's four ways, there's there's probably more that that friends, not users, want, uh, we can be transparent with one another, with our feelings, our common life, our decisions and flaws, and Proverbs 18 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And he breaks out against all sound judgment. Without letting friends all the way into your life, this is what it's saying, it's just not going to go well for you. It breaks against sound judgment. And why is that? Because we need other people helping us become the person we ought to be. Think about David hiding out from Saul in chapter 23. When Jonathan risks his life and, and breaks rank and, and sneaks over to David, he, he doesn't say like, David, trust me, I, I got you. What does it say in chapter 23? It says, he strengthens David's hand in God. Put that in your back pocket. He strengthens David's hand in God. Why should David not fear Saul? It's not because of who Jonathan was or what he could offer David. It's because of who God is and what God could offer David. We need friends to constantly remind us of what is true. David needed a reminder of the peace and security offered by God's absolute and unwavering power and love to be strengthened by God. But you see, if David never allowed himself to be known, fully known by Jonathan, Jonathan would have been just as a blind man, hoping to stumble across what David might need to hear in this situation. Pastor Craig, I don't know how to say his last name, Groschel, you guys probably know him. Pastor Craig says this, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. His point is, you become who your friends are, more often than not. Some of us may need to consider our friends today. Are you being strengthened by God in this or that relationship? It's not me suggesting that you stop caring about all your friends who aren't. Not at all. It's not what I'm saying. It's simply an encouragement that we consider who we're allowing all the way into our life, for they will shape us. And other of us, others of us may need to consider our own role in friendship. Have others or have 
you know, others said to you, like, brother, sister, like, I appreciate you. You have strengthened my relationship in God. I'm a better man or, or woman of God because of you. If someone hasn't said that about you, you might want to consider how you're being a friend to others. Because David and Jonathan teach us that friendship is not just for entertainment purposes. Friends are to sharpen one another to be our best selves in God. Constancy helps us get through life. Transparency helps us change to be the person we ought to be. And the last ingredient is unity. David and Jonathan, I don't know if any two people, people could be less alike. David's the youngest kid from a family out in the sticks who spends his days as a shepherd with a harp and a slingshot. And Jonathan's a prince who lives in the palace in the royal city, a child of privilege, wealth, and power. They have no business being friends. Honestly, they should be enemies, right? God anointed not Jonathan, but David for the throne. So, so given this backdrop of their upbringing and of this honestly really complicated political dynamic that's at play in this narrative that we don't really feel, but it's there. <laughs> this friendship between David the shepherd and Jonathan the prince is one of the strangest yet most remarkable friendships we have. C.S. Lewis says, friendship is born at that moment when one says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. For example, one of you might say, I, I've watched every episode of Parks and Rec, and I love them, which I'd say, what, you too? Or some of you may say, you know, I, as a kid, I grew up in God's country of Iowa, and I'd be like, what, you too? Like, okay, Iowans, come on now. <laughs> but this is how friendships begin. We discover friendships with common passions or experiences or foundational beliefs. And so what united Jonathan and David together, despite their vast differences, what united them together was their shared foundational belief in God, was their shared passion for really God's people to flourish. And as Christians, we are all united in those very same things, are we not? So as we discover friends, it's really up to us, as we discover these shared beliefs, it's up to us to add in these ingredients, to, to add in this the ingredient of constancy that we're willing to stay with our friend even if it gets messy. It's up to us to add in this ingredient of transparency to let the other in all the way into our lives. And as we mix these ingredients together of constancy and transparency with the unity that we have, then you have a friend. And as we've already said, you cannot live this life without a friend. But here's the deal. The hard part about friendships is honestly the whole thing. 
Transparency. Always letting people in. Do you really want someone to look inside of you to have an access to the full transcript of your thoughts? Constancy, staying, even when it gets messy, do you really want to suffer the personal cost of someone else's mess? I don't know about you, but it seems a lot better just to pack up the car with the fam and move out to a ranch in Montana, right? Where does one get the strength for this sort of friendship? Where does the power come to be a friend as such? Well, consider Jonathan, and this was insightful as I was looking at this passage. A commentator said that on one hand, it would have been easy for Jonathan just to side with his father and have David killed and take the throne. That would have been an easy route. But on the other hand, conversely, it would have been almost just as easy for him to take the side of David and to have his father Saul killed and be second in command. But it was ultimately Jonathan's constancy, really his friendship to both David and Saul that leads him into this battle and ultimately results in his death. Does that remind you of anyone? Of a friend dying for his friends. Of a person dying for his friends. Jesus says this, to his disciples. John 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you what? Friend. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. A greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It's, It's pretty clear David was saved through Jonathan's friendship. But even more abundantly clear is that you and I are only saved from our sins through the friendship of Jesus. Friends always let you in. Consider how vulnerable Jesus made himself for you and I. They hanged on a cross, naked, arms wide open, Inviting you in. Arms nailed to the cross open for you. Friends, stay in your mess. And consider the many moments that Jesus suffered as he went to the cross. He could have snapped his fingers and instantly had a a legion of angels annihilate all his killers and the suffering would be over, right? Right? But Jesus looked down from the cross and he looked at all those that were mocking and betraying him and in the greatest act of of love in human history, Jesus stayed on the cross. Jesus entered into our mess and he stayed. Jonathan risked his life for his friend. Jesus Christ gave his life for his friends. Jesus Christ is God's king. 
And he calls us, calls me, calls you, his friends. Do you believe that today? If you do, then his transparency becomes the basis or the source or the power for your transparency. If you believe that, then his constancy becomes the power for your constancy. What do I mean? What, is it, what would it take to be transparent with someone, to let somebody all the way in to your life? It would take belief that even as God sees all the way into the darkest recesses of our human heart, that even there in our darkness, we stand forgiven because of the cross and the empty tomb. And even if the ugliest parts of our hearts, and we, we are forgiven by the one who matters most, then, then what, what is left? What is there left to hide from our friend? If he who matters most has already forgiven us, what are we hiding from our friend? What do we, what do we have left to prove to our friend? It's Jesus' radical transparency that becomes the power for our radical transparency with our friend. It's Jesus' radical constancy that becomes our power for the radical constancy that we would have with our friend. I don't know all of your stories, but I imagine some of us may came this morning, maybe unconsciously thinking, if only I could find a friend a friend who won't run away from the mess of my life. If only I could find a friend, then I'd become all that I ought to be. The good news of the gospel, the author of this Bible, is that if you're looking for that friend, his name is Jesus. Let me close by saying this. I don't want you to leave today thinking that this was simply a message of how to be a better friend. That's a thread, but it's not the main point. The main point of this message is that we leave here today vitally connected to Jesus Christ. God's rightful king and our friend. Saul and Jonathan, as we've said, show us two different ways we can choose to respond to God's appointed king. Saul opposed God's king and tries to kill him. Jonathan accepts God's king and surrenders to him. For us today, Jesus is God's chosen king. But for him to be your king, you have to follow the example of Jonathan and give up your claim to the throne of your life. Only one can be king. Who is the king of your life? Let's pray. Father God, we worship you this morning in a recognition that in our mess, in our sin, there was no way out. But you came 
as our friend to save us and you stayed with us, making yourself fully available. So Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that might not know you as their friend, Father, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a miracle in their life that they would see their greatest need is for you to be the King and Lord. I pray for those of us here who have made that decision to surrender the stake of our throne, of our life. Lord, be our help. Lord, help us to live that out in faithful and radical ways that we would demonstrate your goodness and your beauty and your worth. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this narrative and how it pushes us, how it pushes us to consider these incredible questions for us to consider. In your name we pray, amen.